Hello, everybody, and welcome to Open Network User Group Podcast. I'm Mark Tierney, ONUG CTO. Today, we turn our eye to the world of cybersecurity and digital threats. In this episode, we confront one of the most menacing adversaries in the digital landscape, a threat whose frequency and sophistication continue to rise, wreak havoc on individuals, organizations, and even nations. It's crucial to understand the inner workings of this insidious malware. I said insidious. That's right. So join us as we explore the dark underbelly of the internet. But first, own it all. 2023, it's going to be in New York City. That's right. New York City at the Chelsea Industrial Event Center, October 24th and 25th. Come to the Ona Global Community and uh, check it out. We're going to have some incredible tech execs, enterprise architects, infrastructure engineers, cloud providers, thought leaders, as we demonstrate, discuss the tenets of enterprise cloud networking, security, policy, the list goes on. Go to onug.net to register for the event today. You can use the promo code ONUG podcast, and we'll give you a big 20% discount. That's right. Big sweaty wad of cash that you can use for other stuff in your life. All right. And don't forget to like, share, subscribe to this podcast. Tell all your friends, tell all your enemies. We want to we want to see you here every week. All right. Joining me for today's podcast, that's right, it's Michael Thomas Clark. Michael is the co-chair of ONUG's Cloud Native Security Working Group, and he's leading us through a series that we call The Wages of Cybercrime. Hey, Michael, how's it going, buddy? Hey, Mark, what an introduction. Wow. Okay. I'm going to... Right? I spent coughing. Get, get, you, get, I was get, you, you use some big words there. Like You didn't use conundrum. This is a conundrum. No, I listen. Um, it's a big sweaty, I didn't wake up knowing, wad of conundrum. Yes, yes. Yeah. yes. Yeah, I didn't wake is. up knowing I was so, going to say insidious today, but I'm glad for the opportunity. I have a okay. funny feeling you don't plan a lot of those things, but uh, it's <laughs> part of your charm. So it's yeah, true. the current, it's true. the current, <laughs> you have stumbled into, um, you know, the best half hour, forty minutes of your life that you could possibly even imagine. Can you imagine yes. that? And um, as Kurt Vonnegut would say, and um, yeah, so this is the Wages of Cybercrime, a little, um, a modest little podcast that Mark and I started a few months ago as a monthly effort. We are going to try to get on track as a monthly effort here with, with episode Details. number two. Yeah, which is starts off a new mini series. Actually, what's what's uh, streaming services these days without a mini series? We should be on Netflix. The current state of our enterprise cyber estate. See what I did there? Our I did. Current cyber estate enterprise. Well, at least, you know, what is dominating the field, at least here at the halfway point in 2023? Everyone's heard of ransomware, and that's where we're going to start. It's up number one as the undeniable bad boy of the current state in uh, the <laughs> a dubious first position, 40% of all mm. cyber attacks involve ransomware. And uh, you, you all know the drill. Somebody has stolen your stuff and they want that sweaty wad of cash to give it back to you. And maybe they will and maybe they won't. It's kind of like real kidnapping. But um, as we as we morph into that conversation, I just want to point to the weeks ahead we're going to talk about other things that define the current estate, uh, such as zero-day attacks. That's mm. that's becoming an even more interesting story, Mark, than you and I. Uh, it's uh, a favorite of mine, Michael. I, I know it's a favorite of yours. But as I as I started digging into it um, over the last couple of weeks to get make sure I had the latest latest greatest stuff, I discovered that there's stuff going on that I wasn't aware of, and imagine that. So uh, we've got some some hot stuff to talk about, especially as zero day 
and ransomware start to intertwine their nasty mm -hmm. um, tussles. Yeah. Uh, that's on the threat front. On the defensive front, we're also going to, as, as weeks go by, we're going to talk about zero trust being probably your best bet. Not probably, definitely your best bet against zero day. We've got a whole show lined up on that uh, with the inimitable Ken Aurora of F5, who has written a paper, and maybe he will. Uh, that paper will appear in an upcoming book of ours. Um, beyond that, we will talk about how do you get a handle on all this stuff when you have a talent crunch, um, real, imagined, or otherwise. It's, mm. it's a big topic. What are the results of all the above? How is this affecting the cyber economy? What are our framework of recommendations? We've got all kinds of good content for you. But first up, um, so it's pretty, pretty much undeniable at this point. Uh, multiple sources from around the country, uh, around the globe, and across the industry tell us the same thing, which is over and over again, cyber attacks year after year continue to grow in quantity and sophistication as the same time as uh, organization systems become increasingly complex. And that's a statement we could have made probably at any point in our mutual and respective and collective careers, Mark, right? I mean, going going way back to the sure. Well, we won't we won't mention the year, but who no. are these multiple sources anyway? Uh, they're literally hundreds of them. Go do a Google search. But I'm going to tell you that there are only four today that I'm focused on because I got my best stuff from these people, and I consistently do. First up, our good partner, uh, the folks at Splunk, with their State of Security 2023 report. It's hard to beat their research. It's hard to beat their findings. It's just really well done all around. So if you do nothing else, go download the State of Security 2023 and uh, it'll be the best hour you ever spent. Uh, they cover 1,500 cybersecurity professionals in 10 countries around the developed world across any sector that anybody ever thought mattered. Not far behind, um, just a slightly different angle is the report from Sysdig called Cloud Native Security and Usage Report 2023 edition. I'm a big, big fan of that. Uh, a little bit perhaps off to one side because it's so backup focused, but when you're talking ransomware, you wanna have a good backup. So turn to my good friends at Veeam, some of whom I really do know, for their 2023 data protection report. And finally, um, a report that just wows me year after year, not so much for cybersecurity, but for all things you really wanna know about what's going on in the desktop, what we used to call the desktop and server world, but infrastructure, the SRE report 2023 coming out of Catchpoint. And we'll, We'll put some links up somewhere like on our website, right? Uh, but the consistent message from across the board um, beyond just complexity and volume is uh, most security teams tell the surveys that they're just so stuck in reactive mode um, to be effectively proactive, which is, you know, if you manage this stuff, not a happy, happy thing. But the number one challenge now for three years running increasing sophistication. 38% of Splunk's respondents say that. 30% say that in second place is security stack complexity, the tools themselves. Third place, imagine that, the tools are as complex as, yeah, the challenge to, uh, to get rid of. Mm -hmm. So third place, IaaS, you know, infrastructure as a service and software as a service, those two um, platforms in general 
are driving so much challenge in risk monitoring and management. You know, a really close third place, 29, 28% respectively, um, think that this is their biggest challenge. Were I taking the survey today, um, after some of the recent consulting gigs I've done, I would have put this down as my first headache, uh, especially when you're trying to monitor and manage cyber risk across multiple uh, cloud service providers of third parties, and even more so if you're managing a, a hybrid multi-cloud on-premise environment, which guess what is the, the case with a lot of the really big uh, enterprises. Um, the result, uh, workload demands are constantly trapping teams in React mode. So beyond <laughs> those small problems, uh, what's really clear is that people are using terms, I mean, the overwhelming uh, majority of survey respondents are using, will select terms like, when given the chance, they're overwhelmed by the number of attacks and false positives that bad guys aren't slowing down. Mm. So uh, the bad guys aren't slowing down by any means. Um, not only are we getting more attacks, more sophisticated attacks, um, more complex environments, we this was a this was kind of a, a shocker to me but not really once i thought about it once in your network um we have this thing called dwell times how much time do folks have you know once they've made that north south if you will entry into your network how much time do people have to sort of peruse your east west reality and that is now two and a quarter months on average so uh, uh sleep wow. nine weeks just think about that what can bad actors do when you give them the equivalent of a summer vacation inside your network right um if nothing else it tells you where the phrase assume breach comes from as mm -hmm. one of my one of our colleagues from uh the cloud native security group likes to say ken aurora says the hacker's goal is to land and expand and it appears that they're getting plenty of time to do just that steal and break things nine weeks worth so let's let's now turn from these this kind of set of broad trends to some yeah. more highly specific um of course ransomware has been around for a while um if i get up on my pedestal about this i might say it's really been enabled by uh, cyber currency and uh you know i mean anonymous anonymous is anonymous right i mean can you imagine if back in the days of you know when kidnapping was the the uh one of the fbi's biggest concerns so you got a message that said you know um put put the uh put <laughs> it was basically you know put the money in it in an envelope and show oh, and and drop it on a park bench or something, right? And then everybody sure. waits for you to collect it from the park bench. And maybe you right. actually are stupid enough to show up. Well, now the park bench is in cyberspace. So it's a, right. it's an unknown thing most of the time. A little, little, tough, you, little tougher to trace, right? Yeah. It's a little tougher to trace. So if I were king of the world, you know, these cyber uh, coin, Bitcoin blockchain guys would have some, some serious uh, sweating to do. Um, moving on, let, let's get into those um, if I haven't thrown enough numbers at you, I'm going to throw a few more. If we move from the Splunk survey. By the way, ransom yeah. number, ransomware numbers and all cybersecurity numbers are like toilet paper math. Like it, the hardest math on the planet is, uh, you know, calculating, um, you know, two ply yeah. rolls, one ply, uh, you know, this is growing, this is not growing. Like it's um, it, it's yeah. sometimes I find it's hard to assess 
Uh, yeah, what's it happening is. It, in... it, it's, it's true. And you look at a concrete number that somebody puts on a page and, you know, your first instinct, my first instinct is to say, well, this looks like, uh, you know, this is so-and-so organization must be true, right? They're, you know, mm-hmm. would, they li- would they lie to me? Well, it's not a matter of intentionally lying. It's a matter of this, this being a really snaky thing to try to get your hands around it. How do you count it? You know, first of all, how many people that get hacked put up their hand and say, hey, I was hacked, you know, you're, you're number one, number two, number three tech company in the whole world. I was hacked and we lost 8 million, uh, you know, subscribers, uh, credit cards and personal information. You know, I mean, the fact is you're supposed to report this stuff to the FBI. The fact that we have any numbers at all is kind of, kind of, uh, good, good to see, but Veeam went ahead and did, uh, a, an anonymous, of course, data protection report. They, they actually, I don't know how Splunk did theirs. They, they don't, they don't fess up. It's 1,250 firms, but they don't tell you how they actually got the info. But this was a blind survey conducted by an unnamed third-party research firm. So if, you know, presumably people are going to be about as honest as they might be or not. But we see that 85% of uh, all enterprises in the world, you know, again, how do you define an enterprise, something of some size, experienced at least one cyber attack in the preceding year. So, you know, um, it's quite likely if you're if you're running a shop that you're going to, you know, and you've got your advertising IP addresses on the public Internet, whether they're behind no matter what they're sitting behind, you will get them as as we used to experience at a certain financial services firm where we work, um, you know, gazillions of people a day um, banging on your front door. Um, mm. But last year, only 76% fast up. This year, it's 85%. Um, and when you dip into their qualitative statements, they're saying things like, as I said before, we're overwhelmed. This is a disaster. Now, the interesting thing is, it's not so, it's, it feels like a technology issue, right? But a lot of these folks will, will, check the box that says, you know, the key problem here isn't so much technical as organizational. 60% believe that significant improvement or a complete overhaul is needed between their cyber and their backup teams. So 85% of those people, 43% of them reported having had their data and systems held hostage. So that's interesting. Um, right. You know, not, not everybody gets held up even when they've been attacked. Uh, and of these, supposedly, and I think this is a dubious number, 75% report that they actually paid the ransom. Now, this is a classic, you know, it depends on where you look, what number you're going to find. The FBI says 50%. You know, this this uh, Veeam report says 75% pay the ransom. Um, and that could just be a function of whether I'm looking at mid-2022, mid-2023, the beginning of the year. Um, my research shows uh, reports of something on the order of 50% plus paying their ransomers, attempting to paying their ransomers. And of those, um, 50% claim to be paying a quarter mil or more. So the average cost of, uh, of a, a ransomware experience, shall we say, is, uh, yeah. is constantly going up. Um, but this is, I, I'm not going to share my screen because because uh, that's a little complicated at the moment. But, right. you know, if you actually look at the total value 
And again, this is chain analysis, a, a well-reputed firm. But back in 2017, you know, in those glorious pre-pandemic days, um, less than 50 million in 2017 was going out the door to, you know, a mere 50 million mark uh, was going out the door to uh, ransomware. Now, who knows if we had the mechanisms in place for even counting it back then. But by the first year of the pandemic, that had gone up many, many, many times, like 20-fold to almost 800 million. It stayed that way into 2021. And then in 2022, it fell by half. So presumably by this point, people have their methods down, right? Um, so, you know, we could we can maybe compare the last few years and say, you know, there's a real serious drop off here. Is it, it's not a function of fewer attacks. Uh, the FBI says it's a function of an, an increasing refusal, get this, on the part of victims to actually pay their hackers. Well, and the, so my understanding is there's a big driver there. And, and the, the statistic I heard in this, again, that you see yeah, so many yeah. different statistics. Right? Yeah, yeah. But the statistic I saw was only about 8% of those who paid the ransom got their system back or their data back or whatever it was back. Uh, so where's the real value there? I mean, yeah, um, yeah, it's hard to even assign value as an appropriate <laughs> term to this, but. I, I know. So we're seeing we're seeing more. I mean, in 2022, there were uh, at the at the high water mark was 300 ransomware attacks a month. So you have something like half the money of 2021, but twice the number of attacks. So you can start to draw some inferences from that. Um, we'll see the 2023 June quarterly numbers come out soon. We haven't really got a lot of good data for this year. We had uh, over 400 earlier in the year, but it's, it's too early to, to see a secular trend. Um, the um, Yeah, some numbers around that. Uh, pay, yeah, the, the, the headline there, as you say, Mark, paying ransomware doesn't necessarily guarantee data recovery, not in the least. Um, not even close. Fact, yeah. In fact, 59, 60% that paid, only 60% that paid were actually able to restore data now that's complicated because mm, <laughs> it doesn't really line up with your eight uh, no. percent but uh, i got 21 percent were not able to restore their data 16 percent say they didn't pay because they were able to recover from their backups and that's really what i want to focus on here clearly mm. this is where you want to be you want to be in the world of you know before the fact prevention i'm speaking to the choir i know and our audience i'm sure is is part of that choir um but you don't want to be in the business of, of being uh, again terribly obvious pushed back on your heels and uh forced to go somewhere that you really don't want to go which is putting all that money in a bag under the under the park bench or in, in the uh, in the cloud so this whole trick of not paying comes down to I'll take a, a term from some some other experts. Um, backup immutability, you know, the whole notion of immutable infrastructure, immutable storage. What does this boil down to? Well, you've got to have backup credentials that are truly secure. The first thing that a ransomware attacker will go for, if they can figure it out, is where are your backups? 
if they've been if they've had a say perfect scenario for a for a hacker they've been in your network for two and a half months not saying everyone has that's an average but they've been in your network doing east west perambulating around and they figure out where your your network data backup data store is right um you know yeah not really hard to do there's only so many places most admins are going to put it so you can you can start looking for file names and uh and start looking for directories of certain names and go go if you're aws you're going to go uh see if they try to see uh if your hacking is that good if they've got the backup actual aws backup service running which is a dead giveaway or if they've got snapshot files sitting somewhere but anyway you've got to be able to automate these you've got to have a backup plan that actually gets the backups cleanly into a place that that they'll be safe so i'm not saying anything surprising here i wish i had some sort of you know magic insight uh, but it's an old it's the oldest trick in the book you know uh, when we were managing in a much more analog world um, even though it was digital it wasn't it wasn't an internet world you know you what would you do with your backups you would test them if you were worth your salt as a as an operator, right? You would test your backups, you know? So can you imagine people not ensuring that their backups are actually restorable? Um, so you can't have backup repos being deleted or corrupted. Um, immutability can be achieved through cloud repositories and also via disk storage. So a hybrid strategy isn't actually bad, especially when you consider that a lot of big enterprises not only have multi-clouds, but they also have um, some sort of a data center, whether it's hosted, whether multiple data centers, you know, they've got some sort of disaster recovery as a service, something like 70% of enterprises over a thousand people have cloud hosted um, uh, data recovery as a, as a service. Um, and so you've got to be able to, to make sure that your backups are secure, you've got to be able to you've got to make sure that they've been tested, and they've gone through that, you've, you've got a testing pipeline set up. Um, on a regular basis. Uh, you don't want to reinfect the environment upon recovery, or, and there are lots of examples about that. So you you go and you verify by doing some sort of staged restoration. I, I clearly can't get into the sort of the playbook for how do you, you know, make sure you are restoring an environment so it doesn't get re-corrupted. Um, but, you know, 44% of the people who have been successful have a staged restoration system where their first restore is to an isolated test area sandbox. Um, some people restore to prod scan immediately, 10% restore and hope for the best, and <laughs> 9% don't do anything, right? So if that seems like a lot of work, well, it is a lot of work, but remember my, my suspicion is one of the most my suspicion is one of the most difficult um aspects of this I and mean, when you start getting into um you know re recovery point objectives and recover time objectives and things like that that are you know critical whether you're doing you know immutable recoveries or not that it uh, and that is the you know the really what you want um is to understand um uh, you know, when your breach occurred. And I think that is, you know, potentially the, the toughest part about this, because I think a lot of enterprises, you know, have, um, have this down, they understand what their, uh, what their recover point objectives um, are, I need to restore at this point in time, prior to a breach. But how do you know? How do you know that yeah. that's when you were, um, 
when you were infected, right? Um, that's a, you know, that's a, that's a potential tough, you know, tough one. Yeah. And, and it's not surprising, you know, that the enterprises with deep pockets, you know, some of the people, um, that, I mean, many of, many of whom are supporters of ONU come to our conferences are part of our working group and so on, you know, we got, we got serious players and, um, no, not naming any names, but you know, there's some very big players who you could you could bet your your next your next bonus and and, and a bunch more after that that they've got this stuff figured out, right? Because you know it's it's just, I mean, regulated industries. You know, whether it's mm. the FDA that can come put the locks on your door or the SEC or what have you, you know, you've got to be compliant. You've got to be able to prove that you're compliant, and a, a lot of that has to do with verifiable, clean. Uh, restore situations, um, not to mention not to not to mention the reputational loss, which can be catastrophic. Although I've always been amazed when I look at n- not just ransomware, but breaches over the years, and who's been breached? No credit card companies, um, you know, ca- uh, reporting agents, credit reporting agencies, who seem to be in business the next year. <laughs> I don't know how that goes. Um, but so, yeah, it's a lot of work, but 40% of all cyber attacks are ransomware. So this is, this is ground zero. Um, and what it's, what the way, the, the fact that people are starting to employ preventative measures um, that, you know, making sure that they have clean backups, making sure that they can do clean restores and verify it after the fact tells us that there's a whole lot more going on in the world of upfront monitoring, upfront detection and prevention over the the ugly thing, which is data recovery, you know, in, in a in a you never want to have to pull that insurance policy if you don't need to, right? Um, mm. beyond that, as we as we look into the so, you know, what are we what are we seeing in terms of positive uh, outcomes or or positive uh, strategies that people can employ? There's a, a shared trend toward greater adoption and in, of an investment in um, SIM and SOAR solutions. Uh, 33% of Veeam's respondents said, hey, you know, I can't do this the old fashioned way, which was, you know, you've got a sock. Um, you've, you've seen these, these scenarios where you've got a bunch of monitors and a bunch of people, you know, physically, manually monitoring these socks. Now, obviously um, the ideal for some time has been to automate as much as possible, um, you know, the the collection and the analysis of the uh, of the threat information. Um, but now we're seeing more and more of that. We're seeing a focus on email security. Um, I have a, a book here, Mark, that I uh, I want to make sure that I show you because I know how you like to focus on the crime and punishment aspect of this. Can you read this? One hundred percent. Let's get connected. I love it. This is, I don't know if you can read this. Fancy Bear Goes Fishing. The Dark History of the Information Age in Five Extraordinary Hacks. Now, this is this is not a comp, this is not a book about ransomware per se. It's a book about the five greatest hacks in this in this law professor's mind, who happens to be a, a techie and a Yale law professor, Shapiro. Um, and we'll talk more about this in the future. But what he what he does is he he looks at a number of you know world famous hacks and he draws a bunch of conclusions and uh um 
you know, his first one is is Robert Morris, who the guy who in 1988, uh, as the son of the head of the NSA, was in the embarrassing position of taking his Harvard degree and writing a worm just for the heck of it and having it basically crash the internet. Now, the internet at the time was only 60,000 machines and only 6,000 of them stopped working and they had to be Unix machines. Point is, is that um, this goes back, you know, to uh, when you were just a tadpole, right? 1988. And um, uh, <laughs> the, 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 Interesting thing, I think, is that we've been, I mean, this guy got a slap on the wrist, right? Being the son of the NSA, taking down the internet, you know, it was the first time it was on front page news in the New York Times, but nobody really understood what was going on. Whereas 10 years later, when we had the I love you, love bug, and we had NIMDA, or, which is admin spelled backwards, that that guy got 20 months in prison. The guy who hacked uh, the unfortunate Massachusetts fellow who hacked into Paris Hilton's cell phone um, got a couple of years in jail. Now, um, I know we've talked about, you know, where's the where are the consequences? These may be e exceptions, but it's interesting to see that as we get into the 90s, and I haven't by any means done exhaustive research on this, right? But I've started. Um, it's 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 becoming obvious as people break into Paris Hilton's uh, cell phone by breaking into Deutsche Telekom, which was her service, right? And mm. while, while, they're, while they were there hacking her phone and making and embarrassing her, presumably, by, by spreading the contents around the internet, uh, more importantly, what they're doing is they're, they're getting the, uh, uh, the identity information off of, you know, I think it was 8, 10, 14 million subscribers. And that's really why right. he went to jail, right? So um, the crime and punishment part of this is going to be a constant theme, right? Because um, we're being asked by the government to do more and more in the area of being accountable and responsible for what happens with the software we build. Now, it's interesting that software builders really haven't been uh, held to account. I mean, all kinds of bad stuff happened back in the, the early days of, of Microsoft, right? And, I mean, the love bug thing, the name of the thing. But the, the fact is, is that those corporations have been largely protected. And uh, a lot of it came out through the, the Patriot Act, where they were trying not to, they, they didn't want to be in the business of holding American corporations responsible for the bad things that maybe Al Qaeda might do with their with their software, um, but I think the the pendulum is swinging the other way now, and people are saying, no, you know, these guys have to have to be accountable. And the vendors I deal with takes take security very seriously. So how can we put a bow around this? Um, people are understanding now that data is the answer. I think, um, which, you know, how can that's like mother of an apple pie, but 90% or more of respondents to these studies agree that they're that they and they have um, that they either have to or will have to doesn't mean they are uh, better capture, better analysis of detection data is is the the best way you can uh, guard against successful ransomware attacks. So they're turning to a greater emphasis on observability, monitoring, and of course, automation, which are many of the things that the working groups at 
at Onug are focused on. Um, a lot of this stuff is enabled by cloud services. So there's a greater focus uh, in the industry on leveraging those uh, cloud-based services. 50% um, of the respondents say that this is where the majority of their time goes now into cloud-specific security services configuration, whether it's compute, whether it's storage, networking, you know, identity management, uh, authentication and authorization, and 40% plus are saying that somewhere in the 40s are saying that they need to upskill their staff on the cloud side of things, that that's where their biggest shortfall is. So I think that is um, where I'm going to leave my 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 enumeration of, of numbers, uh, lest I uh, turn everybody's eyes to to uh, glass. Um, but this this talent story, of course, is a major one and will be uh, another it's it's another one of the what i call the six themes that describe our current uh, cyber estate and uh so we've brushed the surface today on on uh on on ran uh, on, i'm sorry on ransomware and we yep. will come back next time with a story about how zero day is meshing with ransomware to create this environment where, yeah, dang, you really do need um, more skills, more eyeballs, uh, more automation. So that's that's it for me for today. And that's great. I'll uh, I'll offer one I'll offer one uh, one piece of collateral for because uh, to your point, Michael, so many enterprise organizations have you know, large organizations that are very plugged into. Um, you know, both their uh, enterprise uh, best practices and, uh, in many cases, government um, recommendations. One of those is from uh, CISA.gov, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Yeah. Um, that's America's Cyber Defense Agency. They have a what's called the CISA Multi-State Information Sharing and Analysis Center, oh, the yeah. MSISAC, yeah. and they have produced uh, a joint ransomware guide um i don't cool. know if i should be uh, uh concerned that the last revision of it was september of 2020 but uh <laughs> yeah, you needs, should be concerned <laughs> whether it's whether, as an american far be it for me <laughs> far be it for me to throw shade at anything government uh well but nonetheless you know, here's, here's, Nonetheless, we should, the, we should read. We should read it and tell them what they need to do. <laughs> yeah, I will say this: there's a a a lot of great um, yeah, guidance yeah. in this uh, in this ransomware guide. So if you are just getting uh, your feet wet into this space and want to understand um, what you can do from a um, you know from a prevention and recovery uh, and you know cultural. Uh, um, uh, point of view to deal with with ransomware. Yeah. This is a great place I, to start. Michael, yeah. thank you. Um, as always, uh, just um, uh, it's a ton of information. We're going to continue this this conversation, as you mentioned, with one of my favorite topics, the zero day, uh, the zero day topic. And uh, uh, it's, you know, really shout out to you and the cloud native security team who did uh, kind of a fusion mashup at Onug Spring around Zero Trust, Zero Day. So feel free to, you know, our audience should go to um, onug.net and check out 
um, those sessions that are uh, available. You can go look at the spring conference 2023 that was in Dallas, my hometown, and um, uh, see a little bit about what Mike and the team are doing. You should uh, absolutely uh, consider this an invitation to get involved with ONUG. Um, join the ONUG working groups. You can go to ONUG.net uh, to check that out. And on behalf of the ONUG community, thanks for joining us today. And we'll see you on the next ONUG podcast. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Mike.